So I'm in, I've got another edition of Halftime Chat, and today we've got special guest, Mr. Kenny Whitehead. It's going to be great talking to him, hearing about his legacy with his brother, his father. They've had um, massive hits with their 187 and uh, Forget I Was a G. So it's going to be great talking to Kenny and um, just welcome on to Halftime Chat. Hey, Kenny, how you doing? Good, Nelly, how you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm doing well. It's uh, is that a is that a platinum plaque behind me? You? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to flex. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's no. You know what? You know that. I think this is the whole show. Is uh, it must be the music? Is there's so many of us who want to get into the industry, um, or who are in the industry, um, sign and stuff, but not all of everyone gets success. You know, getting one record release, not to talk of getting a platinum record. And, um, you know, in your case, yes, you, you had a, a father who was in the industry, but even others who do doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't guarantee your success. So we're here today to discuss the journey. I mean, just getting less so people get to know you, your journey and and um, and just taking us through that, you know, Kenny Whitehead and stuff. But it's always great because my audience is international to say where you're from and where you were born and raised and, and we can go from there definitely um and since we're on the subject that happens to be the original ain't no stopping us now um double platinum okay record. oh so it's original. not for what you guys it's not for you and your brother yeah that's not one of our joints um that is my father's and it was lost for a while and it was regained but that's another that's another story but um we like it says on the label philadelphia philadelphia international records um born and raised basically in philly moved around a little bit jersey um things like that and i've been fortunate to spend a lot of time in other places like brooklyn right you know raising a daughter there you know, spend it so much time in different California, but Philly is the hometown. Yeah, Philly's. I, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it's amazing that it looks as if there's a very rich history of of of, of R&B music from Philadelphia. I mean, okay, recently we can talk about Jill Scott and um, the Roots and, and and that sort of neo soul that that came out uh, recently and Jaguar Wright and stuff. But going back, I think Philly produced quite a lot of. Um, R&B artists and had did they have their own record label at, at, at you said Philadelphia International record label? Yeah. Yes, yes, sir. That that would be uh, the the infamous, the notorious uh, monster hitmakers, Gambling Huff. Um, oh, so they left Motown and went to Philly? No, they they actually never signed with they they worked with Motown, but they never signed. I don't think they signed with Motown. They they started their own thing in uh philly okay. and um we were offered maybe that's the rumor that they were offered to join motown from you know but they kind of saw their own way and they respected it but it but that's their story but i am of that so was my father uh that's the first well so that we have kenny gamble and leon huff who was kenny gamble is my godfather who i'm named after leon huff um they were they were responsible for giving you groups like um, the OJs, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, um, yeah. Teddy Pitt from that group. 
course, McFadden and Whitehead, and um, a lot, a lot the Jones girls, a, a list of others, and they had great writers there, a staff of great writers. So they built, you know, that empire to make a lot of classics, classics that when you you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know, you know what I mean? I didn't know yeah. they did that. So, um, so that was in the seventies, from the from the early seventies to the late seventies, they had a lot of run, and then in the eighties, you know. We had to audition, of course, and we got turned down once, but uh, my brother and I struck a deal with Gamblin' Huff for, on their new label. So we were fortunate to to, to definitely follow in my dad's footsteps with that. You know, he you know, he, he didn't walk, he was always supportive, don't get me wrong. He didn't walk us and we had to we had the American Idol it just like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, because the first time we got turned down, we weren't ready. So that, you know, like you said, we have to all make it on our own steam. Some people are like, hey, I'm not even in, I don't even know anybody like that. So it is fortunate. But um, from there, you know, we, we, we did a lot of things, had videos in the sand. Things died down a bit between that time and then, boom, you get our other stuff. That, yeah, so, so, but, okay, but before we get there, though, so is it, is, in, in, was it um, in your household then with your dad, um, growing up with, with a dad who is into music, what was it like as a kid? Did you know what he was doing and stuff? I mean, after a while, after a while, you start to catch on. Um, they were writing a lot of songs for a lot of people first, like I said. I mean, they they were a group. They were a doo-wop group um, called the Epsilon. They had a group called Talk of the Town. He and his partner, uh, Jay McFadden. Uh, the, you know, both, to both of them, uh, rest in peace. Um, and a few, a few other guys, James Knight and um, Lloyd Parks. And they had a group called The Talk of the Town. Then they changed it to the Epsilons. And they have a video, actually. I'll send it to you once yeah. we, yeah. you know, with the, with, with the processes and, you know, doing <laughs> same suits they wear now, right? The slim ones with the high waters. Yeah, uh, yeah. The high-cut slim suits. So they were into that, like, stepping like the temps and doing all that. So uh, they got hired as writers for Gambling Huff. And um, they wrote for a while, writing for the OJs. Um, you know, Harold Melvin and the Blue Nose, Teddy Pendergrass, Melba Moore, producing the Jack, producing them, writing with the Jacksons when they did their album in Philly. So finally in 79, they got a chance to do their thing because they were just burning up, writing all these hits for everyone else. And I think um, Ain't No Stopping This Now was supposed to be maybe on the OJs. And they just, they just happened to uh, just say, hey, we coming out, you know, we ain't not gonna be like little worker elves anymore. We're gonna yeah. get our hit out there. So that's what they did, and, I, and they and they hit it out the you know they hit it out the park. Yeah, I mean, when you think of the industry now, people would say if you can start writing hits, you have ownership <laughs> and publishing. <laughs> if you can, if you can, if you're writing hits and you have ownership and publishing, and you without the work, that's probably more ideal. But did they see it in that way back in in, 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 in those days? Did they did they have did they know about the business to know look we're writing the hits we're owning our stuff? Well, you know, of course, people as as time goes on, people learn more, you know, and um, you don't you don't know as much as you do now, you know. <laughs> but I mean, everyone was learning too, you know, including the CEOs and. You know, everybody was learning. So it's not like everybody, it's like like any of them, those people from, you know, those neighborhoods, those, 
you know, urban neighborhoods that they all came from. Yeah. It's not like they're raised to, but they found out and they, and they got to know. Now, I mean, of course, there's horror stories about people, you know, not handling their business right. And, yeah. and, and I guess um, ultimately paying the cost, you know, or having someone, you know, uh, swoop in and take care of your interest for you. you know? yeah. In other words, you know, and then there's some stories about people who do, who do, you know, just things to people. But yeah, people don't, people still have to get to know yeah. the business. That's what I would say to everybody. Just get to know the business. Read, read it again, get used to it. It's not something you're going to read one time and like, you know, publishing and things like that. Yeah. Unless it's like that, unless you're some sort of genius, but it's something you have to get used to. And and you'll get you know used to it. So, I, but 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 definitely, um, people, yeah, people didn't know as much as they. It's not as accessible too, right? You had to go to a library to get that stuff back. Then. Yeah, but uh, the reason I asked is more so the when your dad, you know, was you know, writing and performing in those days, and when you and your brother came around, did they did they talked about so they you know that's something of an education to say. If you guys decide to go down this path, these are things you should know. Man, they hardly talked to us about doing music. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like they weren't. They weren't teachers of, like, the scholar type. Like, I have some uh, colleagues of mine who are in the music business, producers. They were, like, raised in jazz clans. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like my Carlos McKinney, very... Great producer worked with uh, the Dream, Rihanna, Beyonce. He works, and he's like brother to me, so I really like know his family. And he was raised with you know the, a bunch of Thelonious Monk, you know uh, wow. types, and he still he still knows how to make a you know a relevant record to this time, you know. But he still is a classic of a. Um, player and he was kind of he grew up in that way i grew up in the in the school of kind of like watch it it wasn't any really classical trainers about people was just vibing and feeling themselves and they yeah poets and writers and musicians who some of them were trained but the people that you know in my family like my father he was never classically trained or anything like that my mother was my mother was a big deal around the house when it came to the music because she was a Calatoro soprano opera singer. Wow. She wasn't really like, hello, my, my name's, but she knew her crap. Yeah. And rest in peace to my mom, Anita Whitehead, Anita Yvonne Whitehead. She she was a big uh, force when it came to teaching us gospel songs and things like that and making sure we were tight, making sure my brother and I could perform when we really found out we wanted to do it. It wasn't until I was like seven, eight, eight years old and we were moving and this guy that was helping us move played the bass. His name was Barry. He's, he's on my Facebook, Barry Thompson. And he, and he just, he heard us in the garage messing around. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, ain't no stopping his name was out and all that stuff by then. Well, we just hadn't been like, you know, these are going to be my child prodigies. Nobody pushed that, that on us, but we would be in that garage like you know, I had a little Snoopy piano, a little Peanuts gang piano, and my brother had a nice, he had a real drum set, though. And um, Barry just heard us and was like, 
stopped moving for a second, you know, boxes everywhere. And he pulled out his bass because he kept it with him. And he taught us these songs, man. Like one was called The Cost of Living. One was called Life as a Stepping Stone. They were like all these positives, you know, progressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, coming from, you know, my dad and them guys with those type of songs, they had some pretty good progressive songs too because and it was kind of hip and it was funky too i like the flavors we're still leaving the 70s now like just ushering into the 80s so we actually sang those songs to get our deal with gambler health we did we never cut those songs but they were always some good songs and we always i always tell i always tell barry even on facebook that i credit him for inventing the whitehead brothers as an organized group wow because we Arts and you know what I mean. Yeah, and yeah. Real, you know? So when he was, when he was, when you guys were, were forming your craft and you and you were singing, um, I take it your parents would notice that you are you could sing, uh, or but was it more like enjoy the singing, but you know I want you to go to college and 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 become a a doctor. What was the? <laughs> <laughs> nah. Uh, my, my mother, you know, my dad was 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 on the run a lot, so you know. Okay. But we catch up with him, and you know, when we could, he was on the run a lot. And hey, but um, my mother wasn't. You know, she she was she was strict on certain things, but honestly, we were just bad shit crazy in in our house. So, <laughs> wow, you knew somebody was gonna be something because we was just we knew we just entertained the heck out of each other. Like if you wanted to laugh. And be on the floor, and yeah. be like, "These are crazy!" Like we, you know, we we put on shows for each other. We do, you know, we laugh. You know, we don't tease people, but we have a lot. We had a lot of people that came into our circle, and a lot of people, on, and they were funny too. And yeah. We just were just everybody famous. You know what I mean? When you came around us, you was famous too. Not that we were famous. You were famous along with whoever was famous, because we didn't. We never looked at ourselves. My my mom was a great singer, had some dope songs. She kind of stepped back for my brother and I to kind of work and manage us. But I'm telling you, she, and beautiful lady, great voice, strong voice, and taught us how to sing from that diaphragm, you know. Okay, okay. She was really tight on, you know, really singing and, and know, she knew her stuff on on so many levels, even beyond music. But she she was responsible for us being able to, you know, have a command performance. Like if you like, hey, why hit brothers? Do something right now. We don't have to scramble. Oh, wait a minute, hold up, John. We'll just bam, bust out. Like there wasn't nothing. You know, my mom and my mother had us like that. But no, you, you know, it's a difference between like, you know, me, I was always, you know, into my toys or doing something. I was playing with Star Wars toys or <laughs> trying to make a car or a robot. Or, but when it came to music, it was something I could be like, you know. I could, I didn't have to be shy or an introvert, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, you know, because my brother was always crafty into everything, you know, doing yeah. talent. Oh, See, that's another, asked that question. He said, when did, not to cut you off, you said, when did people, so my brother started getting into talent shows and, and crap. Okay. We used to do talent shows acting. We used to do Bill Cosby and Sidney Poitier, Uptown Saturday Night, like the bar scene. Yeah, yeah. We, so we were like when doing that too, like when talent shows. So, yeah. What's what was the what what's the age difference between what was the age difference between the two of you? 
my brother has me about three years. Okay, so he's already three years. Okay, so the the idea of of the um, when you're doing a talent show, the idea of actually being a duo uh, <clears throat> at that point in time with them. I mean, I know your your dad um, wasn't in a sort of duo, but around what year was it when you decided that you know maybe we can come together, you know, your brother and yourself, and 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 make something happen. You know, my father unfortunately was incarcerated for tax evasions and um for tax evasion and um you know we were always we were already kind of having we weren't living in a mansion anywhere even before that even with my father's record out we were in like a row home you know three-story row home it was a nice house we had it hooked up nice but it was right there accessible to the hood in philly you know so when um you know when we we realized like um i think i think it was just that separation of um like man he's 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 he, you know it wasn't like he was there there before that but still him leaving that put a lot of pressure on my mom to earn you know and and in a sense that kind of saved the family too you know for us getting a deal because we didn't spend all we didn't save all of our money we paid rent with our money and things like that, you know? So we were always like little men. Uh, we didn't, like, we never were like, yo, I can't go buy no sneakers with my money or I can't do this, uh, you know, we have to pay our rent with our deal money, but I felt proud of that, you know? Yeah. Um, so to my brother and so. We have a sister, uh, Dawn, in between us too. And I have a, through my father, I have some brothers and sisters and they're amazing. We all know each other. Okay, but generally yeah. it was yourself and your sister and your brother that grew up in the household. Um, yeah, my father's marriage. You know, my dad only. You know, he he was married. They married early, like when they were kids. Yeah. <laughs> what you were musicians, huh? <laughs> yeah, man. They knew it. Well, you know, when they when they were interviewing, and my mother was going, she was she went to settlement music school, and when she graduated, they said, "Well, what are you going to do with me?" She said, "I'm going to marry John Whitehead." <laughs> they already knew that already, and they, she was my mother. Well, we had a place in Philadelphia called the Uptown Theater, so that was like the Apollo mm. of Philly. So, you know, uh, my mom used to go in there because she was cool with Harold Melvin, and he was kind of an OG and would look out for her. And, you know, um, so she she um, met my father there, I, I believe. And, and, and from there, it was just like, you know, love at first sight, you know, like, <laughs> they were like, you know, but, you know, he was, my, my, my dad was, he was, he was, he was on the go, man. My dad had a lot of energy. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, great, great. He was, you wouldn't expect that type of pen or his penmanship to come from him because he's just always, he's chill. He, he, he used to chill, but he was always like you know, on a move. Like my dad couldn't say. Uh, yeah, and God, you know, if he hadn't have gotten, you know, unfortunately killed, <laughs> I don't think he was going to die from old age anytime soon because my dad was, <laughs> my, my dad was, yeah, he was, he was cool, man. You know, as you, you know, talk, you talk about him. You just, I keep hearing the Temptations. Papa was a Rolling Stone. It <laughs> comes uh, to mind. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, and and everybody loved him. It, nobody resented. It wasn't that type of thing where it's like you wasn't there for us. Like yeah, 
you knew my dad, even even being one of his children, you knew him or, or his wife's like my mom or, you know, any of his love interests through his life, you knew him. Yeah. Uh, not saying like he can do whatever he wants and this and that, but you knew him. And you know what? We still all enjoyed the time yeah. that we had. You couldn't yeah. give up, pass up that chance to be around him. You know, same thing as my mother, they, they, or my big brother. It was like, a, you know, they were all, it's like a parade, you know? Yeah. They were all, and I don't mean always loud or talk, but it was just something always interesting about being around them. And, um, you know, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the time I had with all three of them, you know, on this earth. And, you know, we all have our time. Yeah. So um, I'm honoring their name in, until I join them in. in... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, not not anytime soon. Um, but yes, yeah, like today, not today. Yeah, not today. It is well, so around. It, you said you auditioned for the Philadelphia uh, record. Uh, is it International Record Company or what's it, what was it? Philadelphia International Records. You have it. Yeah. Was it around? Is was it the mid eighties or so that you guys did that? Uh, yeah, early eighties, close to the mid, but early mid eighties. Mm -hmm. 283 and then the record came out maybe you know we worked it like 84 83 84 kind of almost like our same pattern a decade later <laughs> yeah but then how old were you guys then when you when, when that first when you signed oh man i was i'm gonna tell my age now i mean not that. <laughs> no, 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 it's how, it's most of us can't do math <laughs> oh god okay no, we were we were young though. We were we were really young. We weren't even. I wasn't. You know, I wasn't even into my teens really yet. You know what I mean? So, and my brother was just getting into his teens. So, yeah. So we we were basically kind of young. And and we we oh we did Soul Train, like I said on TV. We had some number one spots like in Houston, um, with the song we had um. Styling and profiling, it, it it got some pretty good, you know, chart positions and radio spots, man. So we did, did pretty good. We 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 got a good taste of being, you know, people like liking our stuff. So were we you, appreciate. But, but were you around the age of New Edition? Because you know they came out in that mid eighties. Were you that that kind of age? Me, I think they were a little older than me. They might be more my brother's age, a few years older. You know what I mean? But I think they were a little older than. Me. All of the new edition, I don't think is my age. Because when I was like 11 or 12, them dudes was already in their teens, you know? Okay. So kind of what? So they you know, signed you guys I'm as? That old, but yeah, I just remember really young listening to them like 11 and crap and 10 and, you know what I mean? Not really, you know, what, do you, what age do you come like to the age of understanding? Like after about six or seven, you start to get hit. To what's really going on? Six, yeah. seven, eight. I only had like a few years, and they were out kicking ass with Candy Girl. Yeah, you know, Candy Girl kicks ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love so that. Now, so they signed yeah. you guys as like a, as as a, as a as a brother, two brothers, but as a, but as kids and, and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. You had to get a legal guardian and the whole. Okay. The whole. So the you know the album comes out. It, it you know does this thing what happens next after after the album 
we start working it. You know, you got to work that album. So we start traveling, doing a you know tour. So it was a merger with Capital EMI, Manhattan Records and Philadelphia International. So it was a merger. We had uh, Bernard Wright was signed there. Remember that? Who do you love? Are you for sure? They, um, Gavin Christopher, wow. you know, he was out on there. Shirley, you know, couple, 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 couple throwbacks. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jones from the Jones Girl had a solo project. Uh, the OJs even had something new. So um, we were just a little young whippersnappers, but we got a chance to. Well, let let me go back just a, a step. We had a chance to work with some great people on that album. Um, Larry Davis from the group Instant Funk, uh, Bunny Sigler, Bunny Sigler, who was a solo artist, he just passed not too long ago, a few years ago. But Bunny Sigler wrote our first single. Bunny Sigler did uh, uh, "Let the Good Times Roll." Come on, baby, let the good times roll. Like Bunny's been making hits since then. Songs for Patti LaBelle, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff. So Bunny was always a special, special dude in the Philly scene, you know. Um, Reggie Griffin, who was from either he either he was from um, you know Minnesota. I keep forgetting where he exactly is from, but he's not from or New York maybe. But he, I gotta check Reggie's background again. But Reggie Griffin was a genius. He did Message, Grandmaster Flash, Scorpio. Wow. He did a bunch of stuff for that whole click. And then we had the guy that mixed it, Shamik, the mix, mix it. So it was a it was a crew from up New York that we got with on the album too. Reggie produced Babyface, the deal, and he used to produce them. Um, Reggie, I don't know where Reggie. He was born the same day as my mother. I, I haven't spoken to Reggie in so long, but he's one of those quiet, unsung heroes who play every instrument you want to throw at him: trumpets, guitars, bass. It's amazing to be around. And so we wrote on the album, of course and had a chance to do some things on that album. So we had to work it. Uh, like I said, we guys like Mike uh, Mike Austin and Virgil Thompson, um, I mean, Virgil Thomas uh, on the road, uh, worked our record to number one on the radio and things like that. Stalin, Pro Houston, Stalin was number one on the radio. So if you was, if somebody was around in the eighties in, in, in Houston, they know that song, you know. Um, and then Dallas, it, it got pretty pretty good over there, too. And then in the L.A., and I mean, you know, it, it worked around, but we really, Texas really, really gravitated towards it. But we worked it, went on Soul Train. You know, somebody's got the, I'm trying to find that one because, we, you know, <laughs> we yeah. had Tuxedo on with the tail. And you don't want to hear something really interesting, uh, brother. Rest in peace to Don Cornelius, man. You know, uh greatest platform ever for black music yeah um, and beyond black music you know soul train was definitely the hippest trip um but the day we did soul train was in the 80s you know you sit there you don't know if you're really going on i know when some people do a show they like oh man i know i'm going on first i know you know what i mean yeah i think you go on when dying say you're going on <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and we were in the waiting room and Don Cornelius comes in, sees my mother. She's in a pretty floral dress, and we're sitting there with tuxedos on. She's like, well, who are you? Like, who are y'all? Like, and she's like, well, you know, who the white is? We from? Uh, he's like, huh, 
oh, y'all made your bones on this show. You know, we did the theme for Soul Train. TSOP did the theme at one point. Teddy Pendergast blew up from Soul Train when he did um, I Miss You. You know, when he did the end of it. Oh, you know, miss you, miss. He went nuts, though. He went nuts on Soul Train. And so Don is like Philly, too. Like, you know, he's, you know, he ain't from Philly, but he's like, we grew up on his show, the whole Philly sound. So he was like, well, we would try. He didn't really know what we could do. But he put us on and we did our thing. We did style and we did, um, um, uh, I jumped out my skin. We did style and we did two songs. So we came back to interviews. Don was just coming out of the hospital for brain surgery. Wow. And that was his first day back. So everyone there were walking on pins and needles. You know, it was like, Shh, Don's don't say anything. Don's back. You know what I mean? Don't make a, don't make a deep. So he came in and spoke to my mother. And then, you know, because we were like, we knew about it too. So we were being cool. But he came and engaged us. And then, boom, told us we were going on. We went on with Orange Juice Jones. Oh, my goodness. Rain. In the rain. <laughs> yeah, rain. Yeah, I will shout out to Orange Juice Jones. That's what I'm at too. Um, we went on, we won the show with him the first time. And um, we did our thing. So when Don did our interview, you know, he said, so has anybody ever compared y'all to New Edition? <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> I did. <laughs> we had a little bubblegummy sounding song that Reggie Griffin, a genius of, done. like I said, the message, Grandmaster Flash, uh, a feel for you, Shaka Khan, or he might have even did ain't no, like keyboard work on Ain't Nobody Love. I don't know where Reggie's, but Reggie did our little bubblegum New Edition thing, and it did it did sound candy girlish, you know what I mean? <laughs> you had to go through but I was like, nah, because we're all like young artists in the business and this and that. You know what I, mean? I didn't really, really, really like, you know, say yeah. But like, I was like, we're all young artists. And then Dom was like, well, I heard y'all could rap. I, we said, what? Because, you know, we rap too. You know, so anytime I heard y'all could rap. So we said, well, he said, go ahead. Y'all can't rap. I said, what? He said, he said to, you know, we, me and my brother bust out to, oh, I get fly, girl, with a white hair, brother, Studious K, MCJ, sneaking under the yellow covers, W-H-I-T-T-H-E-A-D, kicking it live for the ladies to see. We're not Batman and Robin or Cheech and Chong, but we knocked the ladies out just singing the song. We spent, and right around in that very moment, Don from his operation, brain aneurysm operation, stomped back so loud and hard on that stage with a dance that he just stomped like boom boom and he was moving back as he stomped if i could get that on that on tv like and people were and we they went oh because you know don it's a big thing about don dancing right on that show yeah he only a line dance like one time hmm. and everybody's like don don't dance don doesn't dance or don don't dance no more or, but don was back from that brain operation and bust a move on stage with us. I was like, listen, I'm not, I know people have sold a zillion records, but I'm going to put myself and my brother down for the most fun interview on, on Soul Train with Don Cornelius because wow. that was special, you know, to have him break out that type of energy when he yeah. was just walking around, like, you know, recovering. Yeah. I mean, with his big 
baritone voice, were you guys not intimidated? Dom was big too, man. Yeah, yeah. Were Dom. you not intimidated by you know him talking and his voice? Because he just sounds like <laughs> yeah, yeah, like an like an earthquake or so when he talks. <laughs> yeah, can you come in? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, was... <laughs> and he's so smooth. It's like yeah. it seems like he's taking a piss, like he's jumping on your shit, like a little bit, like so. Uh, y'all rap, y'all really rap. <laughs> <laughs> that but Don was so smooth, and this and the other two times we were on Soul Train, he wasn't there. They had other hosts, but we got a chance okay. to. I mean, if you was gonna say no offense to Arsenio Hall, but if you was gonna tell me, would you rather had a call Arsenio Hall or Soul Train with Don on it? I got yeah, but but no, but we 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 do we do. I, I look back and sing. You know, I think Soul Train was in a class of its own. You know, it's it, it's uh, you know what it did for. Um, for for rhythm and blues, um, soul music, but then Arsenio did another thing and a different, not not soul train level, but he well, he did something you know night audience and stuff there, and in a different way. But to actually be on soul train is not an easy thing, you know. It's, you know we all watch soul train, so you actually are on it once, twice, three times. So that's that's a big thing. But did you? What did your dad think when he did he did he ever? see you guys on Soul Train. Did he, what did he say? Man, he, he loved it. My our, our dad was always, um, he was always a big supporter of us, man. He thought, like, he, he and my mom, I, I, you know, like I said, it wasn't like no training thing and this and that. Now, my dad bought me a guitar when I was about six and I was just, I was playing, playing rubbish on that thing. <laughs> Pop the strings. It was listening. There's no way in the world, man. I know they used to call me down to the to the to the living room to play out when I had an amplifier and and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. Plug it, play the guitar. And I, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they must have really loved me. I'm telling you, <laughs> I, I was playing like stir fried crap. And, but it wasn't until about like um you know my stepfather when I when I met my stepfather around like. Seven, you know, my mom never remarried, but my stepfather was just with us for, you know, but they, you know, but he played guitar. He didn't teach me either, like, but he could show me things or give me some tips and tricks. Like, I didn't have to take a class with him, but, you know, he showed me my first chord, you know, a major chord, you know, and, um, yeah, I'll play for you right now. Okay. <laughs> so, it's our first chord. It's probably out of tune. Hold on, wait, let me see. <laughs> now this guitar is from a was from a friend of mine by the name of Charlize Rookwood. It was dedicated to a special friend. All right, so wait. So that's a major chord. So like a happy chord, right? It's a little out of tune, and I got my pick stuck in here. But um, yeah, you know what I'm saying. So, so if you can see that chord, yeah, I can see, chord, yeah. So we're we're going down the scale, like you're putting two fingers. You know what I mean? Do you play an instrument? And no, like my kids do, but no, not me. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't have to. And, then, and you know what? Because it's just as important. You know, when you're talking about growing up in a in a family household. Uh, of musicians, we all we I also grew up in a family of music appreciators. You know, mm -hmm. 
appreciators of music. We loved other people's music. We weren't just in there trying to just make our own music. <laughs> we love music just like your house, probably. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. A staff because yeah. you're fit the way you're connecting, what you're doing. But, but anyway, oh, I, I got serious, more serious about playing when I was about eleven. I mean, I mean, yeah, about like twelve, eleven, twelve, mm -hmm. thirteen. And I just and I discovered Jimi Hendrix. Okay. In his um journey to England. Yeah, yeah. And 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 um <laughs> all that all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and behind the neck fretting and all that good stuff. And and also the greats on the guitar, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, Inve Malmstein, uh, you know, John McLaughlin and the Mahavishnu Orchestra, uh Al Demiola, damn, there's so many people. And of yeah. course, my style was basically Jimi Hendrix and George Benson put together. Wow, okay. So you actually started to perfect your, your guitar playing. Try, you know, try. You know, I I I I worked on it when I when I could. You know what I mean? And I would yeah. fall asleep. I would fall asleep on the um on the John. On the talk, not with the toilet open, though, of course, but sitting on the, <laughs> the yeah. seat part of, with my little tape recorder, uh, trying to practice Jimi Hendrix lick, licks, and um, then a few other people opened up my perspective about playing. You know what I mean? Like I say, Inve Inve Malmsteen, who 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 plays a um classic rock shredder thing, you know, classic scales, but they're just shredded like, you know. Eddie Van Halen or somebody, or you know what I mean? So Eddie Van Halen, of course, always inspiration. I mean, you know, so that helped me a lot. But then it was always R&B. You know what I mean? It was always yeah. R&B because my, my guitar upbringing was really blues. Okay. Right? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You really, you know, well, it's so out of tune, but it's so much what... Some BB King there. <laughs> and speaking of which, man, I I just got in touch with his great grandson Charles uh, King, and we're on um we're on the Clubhouse app, man. He's a business guy. He's making deals in Africa and doing sorts of things. So yeah, man, he's keeping that legacy alive with his uh with the great yeah. with the late king man. You know, so that that was that. I mean, but of course, that doesn't sound like nothing that I came out with, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. But then you know, after I mean here you are, you you are picking up a guitar, um, you you and your brother, you you're singing, you, you get to be on Soul Train, did your label, I mean, did, were they looking at the sales of the album and thinking, okay, we need to get them back in the studio, you know, or, uh, and release another album? Or what was the thinking about how the first album did? Well, we did, we did. Um, well, the regime changed. It went from um, Gerald Busby, Steve McKeever, okay. and our Busby was it? Before you went yeah. to MCA? He signed, he signed us along with Steve McKeever and Daryl Jones. So that was, that was who's, and then um, 
about what ninety late ninety six ninety seven. Uh, Motown switched to New York with the Uptown crew, who who you mentioned, Andre Harrell, Jimmy yeah, Jenkins, yeah, yeah, uh, you know Andrew, uh, I mean Sugar 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 Dice Man and um, uh, publishing James Jackson, all that whole crew, Big Bub, everyone got so I was able to go through the school of Uptown through Motown. And make some records with them. Um, in what way? So, because I don't want to skip anything. So, what happened? So, after you and your brothers came out with your first album, what exactly did you guys do next? So, first album we toured, like I said, first, first eighties, like I said, we yeah. toured, we worked. But that was kind of the end of that chapter. Soul Train, this and that, kind of. Yeah. You know, that's we worked it till we couldn't. We traveled till it kind of, you know, went down the charts a bit, and we. We just kind of, we, you know, still doing shows here and there and still, and still, still cutting in the studio too. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, not majorly, but me, I always was, I always were, I, so I got interested in producing about like maybe 14 years old, you know? Um, hold on. Yeah. Hey. It's back. Fuck no. <laughs> <It's back. laughs> We're having a wild interview here. Wait a minute. Let me let me um plug. And all yeah. this time I'm sitting here and I didn't plug up my um. <laughs> that's why I, I pre-recorded so that this, <laughs> it helps. Nah, me. nah, it's all good. We can edit. But I I I was thought I had a lot of juice on my phone, and um it seems to want to. <laughs> All right. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. It's easy. In the jack-off hour. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, so, I mean, so you... you um, After you finished touring and stuff, um, mm -hmm. and, and you've worked it, where do you shift your... your where do you shift yourself, your focus? Well... Then it was just like back in the saddle again. I mean, once once you're not, you don't have a deal. Nobody's like just taking care of you for nothing, you know. So at about maybe 15, 16, 17 years old, I started, you know, a, a barber messed my hair up one time and then I kind of fixed it. And so I discovered that um, I cut hair a little bit on myself and then people gave me a little chance to do that. And then all of a sudden, um, an OG of mine knew a guy, a little, a slick dude who had a shop. And at 17 years old, I got a real job as a barber. Wow. Go figure. No license. I was in there cutting. Next thing you know, I'm cutting for real razors, everything, and doing mm -hmm. the whole nine. So I, so, so here's a fun, here's a fact toy. Jay Step, my brother was named Jay Step because of the way he walked. You can just notice him from a while. He's like, you know, he just walks like <laughs> Mr. Bentley on George Jefferson. Good evening, Mr. Jay. Like he has that, <laughs> he has that, that uh, little bounce when he walks. My name on my name as producer, you know, people call me Bermuda now, you know, because that was the late 90s. Someone named me that. But in the early, I mean, in the 90s, before the album, before the Motown album in 94. 
my name, I use that name, Ken Spin, as you hear on the album, prominently featured, because that was my barber name, like, because okay. I was, I, I got good and fast, so I was known, uh, you know, I'll put you, put the clippers to your head and just spin you, and you're done. It wouldn't have been cool if the cut wasn't good, though. Yeah. So I give you the same joint. You could pick it out. You could do whatever your shape up ain't going to fade. Like, how you give me a cut just as good as anybody else and cut that last that's fast, you know? So I was yeah. always fat. Um, so I use that name in production. But I was cutting hair for a while. My brother was doing little things. I still was cooking in the lab, though. You know, I still was making joints. So one day, uh, an OG of, of mine and a youngster, my dad's, named McKinley Horton, who came up under Harold Melvin. He was younger than them, though. He went on to make, he didn't make his name in Philly International. He made it around them, but not in that system. Mm. So Harold Melvin basically raised him, and so did my dad. But he didn't make his hits there, so he went along to get some other stuff cracking and made um, Dreaming for Vanessa Williams. Oh, okay. Uh, Gotta Get You Home With Me Tonight from Eugene uh, Wilder. Mm. Um another big hit that Blackstreet brought back, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so his name was is McKinley Horton. And I was cutting hair one day and he called me up and he was like, you know, you want to do a showcase for Motown? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm and I'm and right now I'm about like almost 20, maybe 20. No, almost 20. So I was cutting hair from when I was about 17 to almost 19. Like my barber career was very short, but it was very I was making a lot of money, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so did you know. he know you could sing? That he, well, he knew you. He, knew. Yeah, he, used to, he used to take us to the. Well, he grew up. He, you know, my dad basically raised him. So he, yeah. But he used to scoop us up and take us to the studio. So we had a couple songs, but they never came out. So he tried to scoop up, but he just died off for a few years, and then he just popped up and called me. He didn't. It's not like we had demos. He just asked me that I want to. Like, was I ready? Like. I, if I hadn't had any joints ready or was in tip top shape to go, it would have been like, nah, man, I ain't been cutting hair, man. I'm, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm chilly, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, so, I'm comfortable, man. I'm, you know what I mean? But I was in still get ready to turn twenty. You know, in my little Ken Spin prime, so I didn't have to second guess it. I was like, I was waiting in prison, you know, waiting to get out, like you know. But it wasn't like I was trying. I just had the ammo. So when he called me, I already had demos. I went up to the Army and Navy's Army Navy store, got my my brother and I some so I had a little bread. I told you I was cutting hair, I was making some dough. So I I went and got us like Desert Storm gear, you know, the sand army gear yeah, 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 some yeah, dope yeah. Thames, the, the 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 nice reddish brown Thames with the green sprayed around it. They were some good ones too, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and um got all that, told my brother. He like, what up? I had some demos. They didn't even make the album actually. So they took us, brought us to California in this kind of um in this um what would you call it a uh uh audition studio type of thing? Okay. Um or wherever it was, a little sound stage thing. So you know, they was like, you know, go in that door right there. It's like those the uh, one of those doors with the with the bar across the industrial little bar you yeah, push yeah, it yeah, in yeah. the exit sign on top. I don't know what to expect on the other side of the door. You know, I didn't, they didn't, they weren't like, you're going to perform at a show. I didn't get a chance to see the venue. It's a showcase. Yeah, People yeah. are going to be there. So they like, 
that door over there. I'm like, that door over there? And he's like, yeah, I, I walked over. I just kicked it, like kicked the bar and just. So the first thing they saw was my foot come through the door, like. <laughs> <laughs> the, what they say, kicking the doors, right? Kicking mm. doors. Yeah, so yeah. I, kept, I didn't really have nothing to lose, man. You know what I mean? Don't even let my brother, you know, we, we weren't looking like it, we were entitled to anything, you know? We just was like, bam, kicked in the door, walked in. It was Gerald Busby. No, it was Joe there? I don't know. Steve McKeever, though, his right-hand man, vice president. Dow Jones, who wound up, you know, our A&R, who wound up signing us. Dow Jones, huge, you know, Dow. But Dow was just starting off then. Robin, I think, our video... Um, coordinator in the whole company and maybe a few people walking around doing some, it wasn't anybody large like it wasn't a large I don't mean that way it wasn't a large crowd and in, in yeah, numbers yeah. it was just five people sitting in a chair like this very yeah, like that you know <laughs> very kind of intimidating you know what I mean because you could feed off of a crowd you know yeah, you get all down low. We had the girls go All that. I didn't really, you know, I wasn't really into that per se. But whatever, you know, whatever it takes. You know, I mean, we we want to interact with the crowd. I'm gonna try and ham it up. Everybody knows our style. Like we don't go too crazy with the hamming it up. We do a thing here, but it wasn't nobody to feed off of. It was just them, like <laughs> you know, sitting in the chairs. We did the joint. I really, really honestly, bro, I didn't think we did bad, but I didn't think we was gonna get a deal. Oh, did you what did you perform? A couple demos I had, uh one song called Just a Taste of Love and one song called I Heard You Had It Going On Without Me. You know, that wasn't in the title, but that was how it went. I heard yeah. you had it going on without me. It's like, you know, it was a song I wrote about some chicken, you know, got some other dude or whatever, and then just to touch a level, kind of like a little, you know, little sexy song, kind of like a one eight seven ish, you know, but sexy yeah. kind of song, and you know, I think so. It was cool. It was cool, but I know we had to cut some more jams. You know what I mean? So I got on some other. So at this time, then, based on how you were dressed and looked, do they think? Okay, because Uptown was doing something without MCA was doing stuff with him Uptown. And Motown really didn't have that sound. So did they think the image kind of said, okay, we've got something here? Do you... I, I think, well, Daryl's from Trenton, so he's an East Coast dude. And I, and I know that the one, the, the people that they were from out the West Coast, um, basically kind of maybe it was a breath of fresh air too, because, I mean, you can... You can get what you're going to get out there all the time, you know, but we kind of came from a different place and gave them something different. Mm. Plus, you know, we kind of have a little West Coast flavor to us at that time, too. Even when we signed, it was kind of like that. You know, we're always listening to um, Quincy Jones and Heatwave and everybody that recorded yeah. over, you know. So what was it like then when they said, look, we're going to offer you a deal? How, how did you, your mom, your brother, how did you guys take it? No, on one hand, I wasn't like I, I didn't feel entitled to it, and then on the other hand, I kind of was like, okay, you know what? I don't, <laughs> and I just got some good news like yesterday. It was very dope news, man. And I kind of was like chilling, or like I remember getting my first car ripping a plastic off my first, you know, BMW. And I remember driving off the lot like, 
he just like, you know, put the top down, let out a scream, man. You know what I mean? You can enjoy it. But you know what? I'm always thinking of the work that has to be done with those accomplishments. Or what's next, you know? So I kind of, I, I did feel like, oh, shit. Ah, this is cool. You know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. like, all right, this is cool. This is cool. Like, what's... What's up? And then, you know, now you're on a little schedule. And I knew how I felt from the first time a little bit. So I was, we were familiar, my brother and I, about what it took. But um, I definitely was kind of cool to live again in that way because I wasn't really, wasn't looking for it. You know, I was cause cutting hair, but something in the back of my mind always made me cut records. So I was ready. So yeah. that's everybody. If you if you don't have to get ready, if you stay ready, right? Yeah. Did you guys? Because you, you mentioned your mom was managing you. Was she still managing at this point, or who did you get to different? She manager? she had a piece. She had a piece, and we had another uh, manager too. You know, and she would share in the management with um with my manager at that time. And so um, we kept. And what about contracts? I mean, so you've had one. You've been signed at an earlier age, so you might have had a bit a bit more of an understanding of how much you're getting points and royalties and all that stuff. Yeah, I was doing more. So, of course, I had to be more savvy. But, you know, still had a lot to learn, you know, <laughs> compared to what I know now, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> um, you know, I still had a lot to learn. I, you know what? Because I was just basically a studio rat. And I would read my stuff, here, you know, and try to understand it. But I still was basically like, I gotta be in here making it and I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't, when I'm cutting, it's not too many things that could pull me away from work mm. because I feel like, you know, that's it. But you, I, I, I took the time to, to check things out. Some things I was like, ah, oh, missed that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't catch that one. But so, you see it when, when you get older, you find out. Yeah. So you're, you're working on the album. So who's, how, how do you, how does the, the the songs that make the album? What's the process with that, especially with? with, with well, we had a very the... very very tough A and R guy who I mentioned, Daryl Jones. Um, you know who's also you know signed recent artists. Um, but Daryl was very tough, man. That was just very tough, and I had to audition my songs like everyone else. It wasn't like I had the full creative control. Now go make your album. You know, I didn't come on as a producer like that. I came on as an artist, even though I produced the material. You know, I, everybody always made us prove ourselves, man. You know what I mean? It was did cool. they know was that cool. you could produce, or did they know you guys could write and produce? And yeah, but it was don't... like, let's hear the hits. I mean, you know, because now that we have a deal, we're in competition. Not in that way, but now our songs have to match up to producers that are getting budgets. Yeah. So they've been proven to make hits. They've been out there making hits. I We had a lot of help on our first album with a lot of hit makers, but it wasn't nothing I produced. Like, we write on the album. We knew how to... I knew how to produce then, but I never had done anything that came out. You know? I, I was pretty cool when I was 14. I could make a jam. You know what I mean? Yeah. I so could make are, a jam. But on your Motown album, how much production did you get to do a lot you know a lot 
Um, well, songs maybe what? 13, albums maybe 13 songs and interludes and stuff. So I'll, I'll just say um, Mike Salisbury from Portrait. You know the group Portrait, of course. Yeah. Here we go again, baby. Um, Mike Salisbury, we did a song. Uh, uh, um, I wanted to do Steve Arrington over. See, we were funny. Like I went, I picked the song to do over, and then we just picked him as a producer to do it. So we didn't never have that thing like I must produce all of the song. Like I never did the Prince joint. Like you know, mm. shout out to Prince. I mean, he deserves to produce everybody's <laughs> album. You know, he deserved to produce everybody's album in total. You know, yeah. that's how dope Prince is. But I never really was that type of producer. It's like you know, look at you crazy if you say, "Can you produce a Right Here Brothers record?" You know. Because that's like how I eat and all that. But I was, a, I mean, in, we were um, just, uh, you know, we were admirers of of this people's sound. So we wanted to work with a lot of people. So Mike Salisbury with Joyce Tolberg from The Good Girls sang on that record. And his, oh, and his car. Yeah, Joyce, that's that's my boo right there. Um, and a guy named Roy Dog Pennon, who's very dope, went to Berkeley. He did Shaniqua on the album. Um, uh, Eric Cody, um, Eric Cody, and Burt Price did Change. And um, maybe I might have did the rest. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, I did the majority. If you were gonna say like keep, if you're gonna keep score, yeah, I probably, you know, did the. But that was only because I was coming up with the material. You know, it wasn't because yeah. it was like a. It wasn't because it was my album. Yeah. Because to get out was a G came kind of later, and then we wound up putting that on Jason's lyric too. Okay. And yeah. then what about um, one eight seven? How what inspired you to? How, what was inspiration around that? Yeah, that was the first single off the album series. Your love is a one eight seven, um, and and in and and total, in its entirety. Your love is a one eight seven, and um, my OG, who worked down the street at a record store, who who knows everybody too. He like was involved with Pink, being discovered and a whole lot of stuff. My old, but he was just back then, working a record store, a little older than me, um. We just were always in touch. He would always just tell me about R. Kelly and all this stuff. And we'd be in the, uh, you know, all these people. We admire music. He spawned records in the record store to uh, show you how to get uh, records. Um, so he, we we got pretty close. And I'd come down the street and all the time and just kick it with him. So by the time, in that time, I got my deal. And he had some, you know, my brother and I, you know, I was on the ad from him, but my brother was still knew him too. So he had some songs, you know. So he he had the the hook, the concept, your love is a one eight seven and taking me to heaven. It wasn't, it was different. So we wound up getting the concept and on you know, the album was dope, you know, and then we want I wound up producing it kind of all together the way we all wanted to do it. And it get it didn't get selected my man by a and r guy who i told you was tough was like sounds like it needs to be produced and all this and that so i kind of was like oh so i i told my boy i'm like look the hook is the hook you know when we worked on the hook but 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 i got stripped this joint down so i've been going back and forth to california you know what i mean with a little west coast 
influence and the, you know, as you hear on the record, West Coast influence with the Dr. Dre moves. And the, yeah, yeah. Um, Roy Dog, who I mentioned earlier, had a song called Doggy Style. The song came out, but not the way it is the way I heard it. We were going to cut the song, but some partners of his that he had um, sent, and it's funny, I just talked about Mike Salve. They, they sent their wife to talk to us at the studio and told us we couldn't cut Doggy Style because Roy was starting to cut all the songs on us that they did together and they broken up now and they want to cut some songs too and get a budget, you know. So I don't know what was going on, but I was pissed. I mean, she came in peace and we weren't even in LA. She came somewhere in the burbs and found us. And that was kind of creepy. Yeah. But she didn't bring no dudes in there, no rah-rah. You know, they probably outside, but she just came in there and she was like, you know, she said she loved our group. But, you know, she didn't threaten us and she just told us the situation. It was like, you know, we can't do it. We could have took it as a threat to my man. We could have took it as a threat to us, but she didn't make any threats. And I said it ain't it ain't worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I like the song, but that song, basically the the kick and the bass is kind of basically one eight seven. When you hear it, it's kind of that style because this is like one of my mentors too. So I kind of I flipped his style, um, to give it that beat and kick. One eight seven is comprised of a lot of elements. Mm. Um, when you get to the guitar, you might feel a Daryl Pearson thing from Devontae's uh, guy, Daryl Pearson, you know what I mean? Or you might hear a backward snare that might remind you of Devontae, you know, or, or, or you know, different little elements. And then a, a move sound that remind you of Drake. But nobody has gunshots in their song like that, in a love song. Well, <laughs> one yeah, song. yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, but what about keeping Snoop's part in it, though? Yeah, because... down as a writer and so is Dre because I sampled their, their voice. So I had to put them down as writers. Which is cool because, you know, me and Dre are cool. And, you know, Dre's a cool dude. Super's cool. I did, never did, met did, did the label not say, well, you know, if you put them down, you, 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 you know, more people are getting a piece of the pie if it does well? Y'all already, already, always had good politics, you know? And always, always, I, they, they left those things up to me because that was good politics, you know? Being associated with Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg, you know, having my name next to theirs on a record that says written by Calvin Brodus and Andre Young and Kenny Whitehead and Earl Johnson and, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, see, okay. I, you know, we got to know how to bargain on chips, too, a bit, because immediate immediate money isn't always everything. is you know, planting seeds. Yeah, yeah. It's a big Did thing, too, so. Did the label? Did you guys all think, well, this is this is this is going to be a big hit when it was finished? I knew it would get some attention. I, if 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 not for the lyrics itself, your love is a one eight seven taking me to heaven. And then the verses, like I said, I had to rewrite the verses, do everything again, and strip the song down because I wanted it to be that potent, you know, when it came out. And have that effect that it has and be gangster like it is. Like I changed the the song wasn't gangster like that before. It was kind of washy and more <laughs> subtle. And I just was like, because I tried to do it with a, my, you know, not on my man, but the way his vision went. But I was like, nah, man, this shit got a bite, you know? This yeah. got a bite a head off. And then so my man Doggy Style, the way he did that song, Doggy Style, it never came out like that. But that's what, and other people heard that song. 
other people who people think that song sounds like, they heard Doggy Style too. So I'm sticking fast. I'm standing fast to, I got the beat and bass line kind of vibe from Doggy Style. And if you want to talk that wow, wow, West Coast, wow, wow, or the Christian, it just sound right and everything else. So 187 kind of made itself. I just produced it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Played everything, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, I was just a vessel, but it is what it is, you know? It's just a wild animal that I, I can't control. You know? did, did people think it was a Jodeci record when, when it came out? Yeah, that's exactly why I mentioned those elements. So it wasn't a big, I, I, I thought, I, I heard that Jodeci heard Doggy Style. But if you take the guitar, like uh, like I said, let's break the elements down. Daryl Pearson, if you look on the Jodeci record, plays the guitar work. Nothing's going to hit. Nothing's going to hit the streets unless Devontae says so. You know what I mean? Especially in that time. So I give him credit for everything production coming out on Jodeci. And who is a genius? Who I have got a chance to meet and everything after one eight seven. You know, one time on the phone, we're going to do a project, and then. One time when Usher was was young and had me come to the hit factory and but Devontae was doing his song Whispers and Daryl Pearson was actually there. So the one eighty seven was done by then, but you know, um yeah, I didn't mind people saying that because I know that that's not all our music sounds like. So, you know, I was gonna you're gonna get thrown off if you think like, yo, that's why the white hair brothers sound like one eighty seven because we don't have another song that sounds like one eighty seven. Yeah, but you know it's like I, I bought the album. I was one of those people that bought the album because you had, you know, when you had one eight, yeah, when you had one eight seven, then you had forget I was a genius. I was like, okay, you know, one hits is different, but you have two on it. Let's get the rest of the album, and you were surprised that it, yes, it didn't. They weren't the similar songs, but yeah, I did have I did have a copy of of, of the album. How did Motown nice. when you finished it? Did they think yeah we've got something good, and did they promote it well? Yeah. Um. Well. It's it's shrouded in mystery, but I, it, there was some good. I, I could say there were some great things that were done, like um, like sending us to Europe two times. You know, um, it worked there. Mm. The live tours that we did with um Black Street and uh, Warren G. Okay. Uh, and those tours and those tours helped build our fan base there. Because I know a lot of people think we just popped out of nowhere in London was like, oh, why are brothers? I like them. No, we went over there and we we actually embraced the people too. And but I'm not saying that we weren't chosen to be liked, but we also put in the work to yeah. to be to give back, you know, um to let to let you know uh, the whole UK know that um yeah. We want and we definitely couldn't wait to come back, you know, and I said because London, London, I mean Motown saw that our sales went up after our first tour. So but you know, there were a lot of man promotional copies of that record out there. A lot of them. A lot of them. You know what I I, I um I briefly worked in um in the music industry with um at Edmonds Entertainment in, in North Hollywood. Um Tracy Edmonds, they had um, hmm. John B, they had um, a group oh. called Third Story. And I was working mm -hmm. in promotions, marketing and promotions. And Def Soul, it was Def Soul who, who were distributing the, the group Third Story. We probably sure. had over 10,000 promotional albums and, I, and they were given to journalists. And I, and I couldn't 
because my background was business and marketing. And I couldn't for the life of me understand why you would make 10,000 free copies of an album and just give it away um, because people, at that point, you could burn your CDs and it's like you were just giving it away. It made no sense as a promotional gimmick as to how the music business was wasting money and stuff. So you, but I'm sorry if I went off for a second. My daughter yeah. trying to, my okay. daughter, uh, my daughter was trying to FaceTime me. She must have know. Was... <laughs> what What was the official sales of of your album? Did it did did Motown? I, I never I never really got a number, man. Um, you know, you know, and like I said, forget I was a G was on Jason's lyric, the second song on that album, and um, I don't know what the single did off that. You know, it was a little who's going to promote the single type thing going on. You know what I mean? But I mean, Jason Blitz was, was probably one of the best. I mean, those days we had the best era for soundtracks. And Jay, I had the Jason Lyric soundtrack. It was, you know, those those days. I mean, those, you know, that's when you had um, Above the Rim. United. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, Above the Rim. I was just watching that. We were just talking about Black because I do a, um, a clubhouse uh, talent show thing with Joe Little from the Rude Boys. Oh, like yeah. you had, Joe. well, you had Joe on your, yeah, on did, your yeah. So you know, Joe was behind the with the white hat on, and you could hardly see him. And, um, but um, and I'm actually gonna do a project like that coming up soon, and I'll keep you posted on that and what song we're gonna do because it's a well-known song. But we were actually called up. So I believe it was Sam Sack that worked for Mercury. He wanted to get I was a G for that album. You know, I've done a lot of soundtracks too, because I like soundtracks. You know, yeah. But um, Sam Sapp had wanted that for the album. Now you have to also think it sounds easy, but the labels have to figure out who's going to do what, right? Yeah. And it can be a tug of war or this and that war. It's our do we put clips in the video? Do we don't? Or we, so it has to be some continuity between the labels. But we still agreed to make that our second single, and we still agreed to put it on Jason's lyric soundtrack. Black Men United, I get a call. I don't know if it's from uh, my A&R guy, but they said, hey, um, they want you, you guys to be in um, Black Men United. So I'm like, where? they like, yeah. I said, that's what's up. I mean, I didn't know the song. I didn't know nothing. You know, all I know is a bunch of artists from me do like a We Are The World, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up to date. So I'm like, cool. I drive up to New York a couple hours away. And this is not, this is just the truth. It's not like no thing. I'm just to say that, but I'm just telling you our, my connection with Jason's latest soundtrack. So, drive up a couple hours away, um, and we we sitting in the lobby. I think in the lounge. You know, Brian McKnight's out there. You know, because he helped produce the project. Yeah. So Brian McKnight's out there. I didn't know D'Angelo. I didn't know D'Angelo. He was still kind of bubbling under. I don't even know if Brown Sugar was crazy yet, or maybe <laughs> I don't. I gotta remember. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, but it was out in that time where he was still not. He was blown up behind the scenes. Everybody knew he was gonna be big. You know, because people kind of blow up behind the scenes too. You know what I mean? Like okay. the us in the industry, we know when somebody's gonna come out and be fire. Plus, the business is gonna push them like that too. So okay. you got a good chance. So. 
we played pool outside of the lounge joint and for like maybe a couple hours or so, I don't know. And then somebody came out and was like, yo, you know, I'm sorry, y'all, you know what I'm saying? Y'all not going to be on the joint, you know what I'm saying? Um, That's it. No, I'm just <laughs> so I'm like, and then everybody's kind of looking around like my manager was there. I think he came up and blah, 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 my brother and and everybody's kind of like, whoa, whoa, like we just drove all the way up here, waited all the way up here, like totally wasted our time, you know? And and somebody else came and told us, like, like not even a, I don't know. I don't know whose decision it was, if it was Brian McKnight's, D'Angelo's or whoever. I know Brian McKnight was playing pool with us out there chilling. He didn't say, hey, y'all. I don't even know if he told us, but somebody told us. And now my crew, you know, people, with, I wasn't with a whole bunch of people, you know what I mean? Because I never really had a role like that, you know. But, but everybody was kind of willing to get a little like, what the? And I was like, shh, 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 shh. you know, that's just, that's just, it's all good, you know? I said, it's all good. Let's just beat it. It's all good. Thank y'all, you know? And then we, but on the soundtrack after Black Men United, forget I was a G, we went on the Jason's Lake tour. The, the song is in us, the, the soundtrack at least about two or three times or so. I don't know, I forget how many, but at least two. Mm-hmm. And um, I felt I felt like the song, they felt like the song was a real good fit for the movie. And I wasn't trying to compare it compare it to like 30 R&B artists, you know what I mean? It, with a great song like that. But I'm just saying I would have loved to be a part of it. But I yeah. still got to be, a, we still had a chance to be a part and be associated with the movie and the soundtrack, you know? And B, I mean, they would have put that song up. They would have put Forget I Was the G number one on the album if it weren't like Black Men United. I mean, you got to put yeah, that number one. Yeah. But I mean, if it wasn't for that, we definitely would have been first on the whole soundtrack, you know? Yeah. They love that song for there. They put it in there twice. And like I said, so they got the usage from that song. The video had clips in it. We had a version with the video clips. Um, that Marty Thompson did and all that, man. So that was cool. That was cool. Little little factoid story: how we almost, uh, almost got to be in um, Black Men United. Yeah, I mean, and and you just never know. But as I said, the the, the song on its own. I mean, I think if you were to, if I ran a poll and said, which song do you remember? You know, you uh, Black Men United. Forget I was G or Black. Um, you know. Black Men United, um, you would know, or Whitehead Brothers, forget I was a G. I think most people, I mean, back then it was like a nice celebration, you know, like the wheel of the world, but it, it wasn't, the song itself wasn't as memorable as your your, your, your song was, um, but it's a, it was a collective, it was a good sort of like, yes, it's nice, especially when they did the performance, I think, on Soul Train or something like that. Uh, you know, you had some real powerhouses in, in there. But um, so the album is is doing well. I mean, you have two big singles, you know, big two top ten singles and stuff. You're touring. Well, what you know, then we don't see no second album. What 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 goes on? Well, like I said, the regime the regime changed to New York. Now oh, the uptown. Oh, Andre and Jimmy come around. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so Andre Harrell's rest in peace to him, man. Um, in 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 charge now. Uh, we get to do a, a 
a Glenn Glenn G Wiz um, brother from from Heavy D and the Boys is our A and R now. Oh, G Wiz. Yeah, G Wiz, man. That's the brother. That's the speaking to brother. next week. Okay, I'll talk to you. Oh, for real? Yeah, man. Yeah, that's 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 our brother. Um. So now we got a whole different crew thing. We get with Big Bub. Have you heard "Feel Your Pain"? No. Got to step and get a move on. Oh, oh, oh. 
So yeah, we did a video for Fill Your Pain. We did a song called All Right. So we did two songs and 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 huh. What do you know? We got back on Soul Train again for the third time. So we got that far with a single. You know what I mean? I think we didn't come back and keep hitting them with singles. You know, I don't, you know, we didn't have, we didn't grow up with Andre Harrell's crew. So when we, we got there, they didn't, we, we weren't really familiar with them. We had to get to know them. We were just getting to know everybody. You know what I mean? It's about yeah. the relationship. They have so many people that they work with, that they made their careers with, that they keep, that they use. And so like when you work with Andre Harrell and, and that Uptown crew, that MCA Uptown crew, you know, you got to go through Big Bub, you know? How are you kidding me? <laughs> like Usher did, like Mary did, like everybody did, like Joe did, like everybody. So we weren't any different. We went through Big Bub. So if you hear the single, I did feel your pain, you'll hear Big Bub kind of prominently featured as almost like another whitehead brother, you know, because that's how loud I got in the um, background. Um, but that's how loud I have him featured in the background, you know, like a, another group member. You know, what, what, what was he? Was he like? Was he like A and R? What was his role in that uh, in Motown? Well, was writing and producing, and you know, getting production and stuff. Um, I I think G G Wiz was A and R. Bub was produced produced two songs on us. Like I said, we dug Bob so much, man. I I rose his voice up in the background for so "Feel Your Pain" and "All Right." Like you can hear Bub really loud, you know, because I really dug it, and um. Yeah, we still talk, man. Bub and I still talk, man. I still love. But, you know, I was fortunate to, to, to you know what I mean? Be able to walk through that school, you know? Yeah. That whole uptown school, man. So, uh, but after that, it kind of just, like like I said, those singles did okay, but, you know, they kind of died down. We didn't keep at it. And I think we were already on, like, let's just try this out to see if it works kind of thing. I don't think we had the best favorite relationship with them where it's like, whatever happens. You know, said Mary J. Blige, don't catch a huge joint. She, you ain't going to kick her to the curb. You know what I mean? Because yeah, you made yeah. on whatever. Not comparing our hits and status to her, but it's somebody that they know. So we, we, we were just getting to know them, and we tried. You know, we tried out how to what to do we gave the old college try and we did a whole album it's in the cut it's not like um it's shrouded in mystery man nobody even knows what that album is man you know what i mean oh. yeah who knows i don't know where this could be you know archives of Motown. could be in the sands of egypt but people have been asking about it and i've been you know little by little you investigate your life it's not like everything was just flat on the table and I could even call it what it is. I've had to unveil and uncover and peel back onions and not frazzle anyone, you know, and get them scurrying scurrying along. You know, I had to just be patient and let the truth kind of come back. And the more you learn about the business, the more you can learn, you know, what happened to yeah. And not look at, I, I know that people are sitting there with trip D's and all that, but I, I don't know a lot of these things because I've always looked, thanks to thanks to places like Europe and London and places like that and in America. I have I have no feelings but to look at the album as a success and and you know it's an underground class. What who if they didn't promote it 
do this or that, or we don't have a platinum. All they did was just make it more valuable and rare. Yeah. That's like when I was telling you about dub plates, you know, I do dub plates and stuff for people when it's, it's rare to get one because, or we haven't been there to do shows. Mm. Yeah. You know, as, as we spoke about, you know, my brother passed away, so we won't be coming back together and hopefully I can make it over there to do a couple shows and deliver the joints, you know? Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll just, as we're getting towards the end, I mean, the, you, you've, so the thing didn't work out to Motown, so did you guys part ways? Not officially, you know, we, ne we, were, we weren't officially dropped or anything like that. You know, we've never been dropped from a label. I think we just all kind of go our own ways. I think when, when Andre Harrell first got there or, or someone was having a, a meeting, they were going through artists and they was like, so-and-so drop, so-and-so, all right, we're going to open up the budget. So-and-so. This is unfamiliar. You, you know, you have to roll with the punches. Everybody doesn't know you. It's not like they don't think you're good. It's familiarity. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's what they know. You don't have a relationship. This business is big about relationships. Mm -hmm. So didn't have the, they didn't sign us. Andre Harrell didn't sign us. So we were there, you know? And who's to say how familiar he was with our music or, or whatever that went on when the meeting went down, they were like so and so, and I and I think somebody said Whitehead Brothers dropped, and the whole meeting in the conference room was like what? Like oh, it was like oh okay, I guess not dropped, because even though that person making that decision didn't know us, the people in the conference room was like you crazy, like you know what I mean? Like Whitehead Brothers ain't whack. And that was that decision was changed immediately. So that's how we got even chance to work with. And and if he had a dropped us, I wouldn't have took it personally because we didn't know him. Yeah, yeah. Didn't know Andre Harrell. You know, we had to develop a relationship. You know, with his, his crew, yeah. like Glenn love as a brother now, like Bob as we love as a brother now. Uh, the publishing people like James Jackson, um, uh, all the people that Eddie F and all that. Like he kept it. Uh, uh, you know. Sugar Dice and Jimmy Jenkins, like you said, all the great people who he kept around him, he kept around, you know? Yeah. Out of those people around for, for his whole life. And that says a lot about a person, you know, yeah. be able to, your crew from the early 90s and, you know, late 80s, early, well, you know him, he was in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Or, yeah, yeah, know. yeah, 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 yeah. But taking his crew, Heavy D and all the whole, and, and, and ushering them into another era, you know, yeah. and, and making so many hits in just a short amount of time, if you really look at it, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, on it for a while, but yeah, but go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, I was just saying then, because here you and your brother now, you, you've seen the, the difference and you sort of part ways and stuff. Do you guys then, do you focus on going into? producing and writing or do you think let's be on the road yeah i tried to do both so i was juggling i was i was really spinning all the plates man because i was you know producing us other people wanted songs when they heard our stuff come out of course um and then of course i had to go on the road too so i was getting a whole and being the artist that sing sings the leads for the singles the, not all of it because my brother of course comes in and does it but, but I sang both the verses for 187 forget I was a G only because that's the way my brother wanted it actually I wrote the rap when I was singing it down going freestyle and I got to the rap 
I just said that rap freestyle. I used to hustle on the block, pull out the block, lick some shots, a bumble clock, bumble clock, boom, boom, boom. But that was a freestyle off the top of my head. So when I was done, I told my brother, yo, you got to do that rap over. He's like, what? I ain't doing that over. That joint crazy. I was like, no, you got to do it over. You ain't going to be on a record if you don't do it over. You just going to have a couple of ad-libs. You at least got to do the rap. Plus, he was a great rapper. Ain't mm. the right, like, freaking biggie, like, to me. Mm. Um, so Jay Step was like, all right, I'll do the rap, but I'm not changing it. I'm going to do that rap. Okay. And I was like, those right for the infamous Jay Step? Like, his raps, though. Like, you know, I always, I write songs for him, but I don't write no raps for him. Yeah. And my brother rap, like, real nice. And um, he that's how that that's how he went to do that rap. You know, I wrote it. He, so there's so many funny factoids inside of music that wow. people don't. But when Forget Out G came out, it was I like to mess with people's heads anyway. So I knew what people were going to say about One Eight Seven with the Jodeci thing, but that's not my story about it. And if you do hear any similarities in it, maybe I did those subtle little things, just because why not? Let's just go at it. You know. Why not? I mean, but, people, yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, but I knew I would throw them off when Forget I Was a G came out, you know, because mm -hmm. same group that did 187, me and my, my OG, uh, Earl Johnson. And I'm like, well, now who's this sound like? Can you figure that one out? You know what I mean? It's yeah. Just get yeah, but I mean, producers were generally copying producers. You know, people were copying Teddy's New Jack Swing and making their own. Others were copying ADFs, and so they were. It wasn't. It was the. It was the case. I, th I think it was the guitar that was very similar to Freak You, uh, Freak You. Yeah. But you said it's the same guy. Well, not. I. I wouldn't say. That, see, like I said, I always played wah wah guitar. So when I made that decision to go, like, no, by then, like I said. Daryl Pearson's guitar playing, which goes on with the Vontae's, but so when I made the decision to go, wait, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And go, I mean, that's not the chord for theme, but it's the same crescendo. One, two, three, five, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Why should there only be one? I'm yeah. not saying Sam was like, yo, let me play Love Jodeci. That's stupid. <laughs> I told you about how to beat. Oh, I thought Devontae heard my man's beat. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. But Doggy Style wasn't out like that the way it was. So yeah. I felt like, I lo I love Devontae, but I, th I felt like your whole album kind of sounded like my man's, my man's style when it came out, minus the guitar stuff. Mm -hmm. So we matching elements. And he had that record, but I thought my man, I told him he was crazy because I never heard about Devontae letting nobody produce Josie. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. My man is, is you know, he went to Berkeley. He ain't no real, you know, messy guy. He just was like, well, they were kind of messy having that girl come to the studio about the song, you know. Yeah. But if I could get a demo of that song, and I'll, it predates both of our records, Josie yeah. and Wack. Now, the guitar playing, like I said, had to put the wah wah in there somehow. It just sounded good. Mm. Boom. It's a lot going on in that record. It's a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of different things. A lot. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot going on in that record. There's a bunch of tracks, but that's cool. And I and and I knew what was going to happen, so I I wanted to open up the conversation because we ain't saying like Josie. We ain't trying to be like I wasn't like you know, baby, I got this done. Give 
Oh, you know, trying to sing like Casey and shit. And, and cause you be making me scream so loud, loud. I mean, that would be JoJo. We, we love and, and and everybody, but we always do as a singer. When when Cisco, I was in the studio. I had Faith in the studio with me. We was doing something. We had just came in and 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 Philly. Cisco was in 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 uh, jazz and Drew Hill was there. Cisco was like, "Yo, I studied the song on our uh, on our serious album, Beautiful Black Princess." It was like, "Yo, I used to sing that, study all of the huh and highs and." When I go, I don't think you hear me, though. You know, he says that in the thong song. I don't think you hear me. You know, I sing that on Beautiful. And, he, and actually, he asked me to sing it. He pulled out a video camera. And I played electric piano and sang it for him. And then Woody, me and Woody would get cool later. And he was like, yo, we used to sing that song on dates, man. To get girls at the end of a date, bro. Wow. He didn't tell, tell you the whole thing, man. And um, Faith was with me. And when they left, they played, they played us Tell Me. They big hit, the first hit they had. Oh. Because my man Hawk Islam was hooked up with them. So when they left, me and Faith looked at each other and we like, wow. You think what I'm thinking? She was like, yo, he sounded like KC. But yo, they we but but we was like, but they could sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they was dope. We knew it was gonna be a hit. I knew Tommy was gonna be a hit when he played. Yeah. Me, but you know, people don't like to give up where they get stuff from because they always want to look, you know. But I mean, I'll tell you, if I brought, if I, because it, it's not biting, it's, I'm 19 years old, come on. Like, when the came out, was any, when God of Love came out, was somebody saying that sound like Teddy? I got a love. Come on. I'm 19 years old, give me a break. I'm just sitting here cutting hair, man, you know what I mean? But I had to show people like beautiful black princess. If you want to mess with me and think I don't have no styles and no skills, go ahead listen to yeah. what else we do. Stupid. But I know how to get the controversy out of somebody. So I didn't run from it. I didn't get it from them originally, but I didn't run from it if it formatted into yeah. it. But it, yeah, I mean and he, yeah. he loved it. No, that that's good. So what well, I mean, after all this time, I mean were you and your brothers before he passed? Were you guys touring as the Whitehead brothers, or did you guys sort of go to, and do different things? I was so I started producing a lot, this and that. Um, man, I wasn't always the biggest fan of being out there, you know what I mean? Because so it was a lot, I did a lot, so my brother had to get me while I was, you know what I mean, yeah, in the right. mood, yeah. It's not for me to sit in the studio all day and don't do, you know, perform and don't do all that. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. I, I, listen, the people who do it and that's their livelihood and they love that and they love the attraction to it. Mm. Yeah. Me, I was like, like when you, when, I, I guess if you see me doing a show or me getting, then, you know, going laying down on the floor, not, not totally on the floor, but kind of <laughs> so my arm on so into the ladies room. It's only because, not because I'm get these I'm more or less thinking who the hell wants to go to a show when nobody gives a show. So yeah. I'm like, that's out here if you ain't it doesn't mean that you, you um if you don't have that attention you're gonna die. It's just that if I do a job I'm gonna do it. Yeah. 
but then in the midst of all this, though, so you you, you do your production, your, your your brother's probably on the road, you know. So I mean, we're talking about ninety six, ninety seven. So you know, good thirteen. No, was it thirteen? No, twelve. That's twenty three years. You know, we haven't seen or heard from you in 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 quite a long time. I know that when I interviewed uh, Buddy uh, from Intro, he mentioned you and Horace doing stuff around and stuff. But what is it that you, you know, what is it that you've been doing over the last you know couple of years? Well, since since well, we'll we'll, we'll go back fifteen years. You know, when my father passed away, unfortunately, in two thousand and four, yeah. I kind of um, buckled down on the business a lot. You know. And still, still doing things and producing, but it, it kind of, I, I kind of dedicated to his legacy and taking care of some things. And you know, I popped up. You get a war in Atlanta. I got on TV with the Eagles before we won the Super Bowl, right in time for the Super Bowl and winning it because that was the theme. No stopping. Um, I went. I, I um, collected an award for him on the Walk of Fame in Philly, and did a, and did a few things. You know, and took and, and taking care of some of the business, a lot of the business that was kind of un 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 um ten, unattended to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just that's a lot. It took a lot, and it took and it wasn't just that. Of course, I've been making livings and doing other things. I've learned about construction, a lot of stuff. Just all the things I wanted to do, but one thing I still did was just cook. Now, getting out there as the Whitehead Brothers, yeah, we didn't. We didn't quite make it before my brother passed, you know, to get out there in Europe back again. Because that's all we wanted to do. We wanted to go back to Europe, you know, to London. Not, not, not the States. You didn't, you, not, 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 not. Well, no, we, we dig it here. We never toured with a live band here. So, you know, I've done live shows here, but not as the Whitehead Brothers. Not really, except rehearsal. So, I mean... I don't really have anything to prove to America like that. I mean, we're here. I'm always here. They know how to reach me. We, I feel like a big obligation to the people who lifted us up there, you know, and I've built like an army over there since then. Not, not saying that America doesn't matter. Of course, of course they do. And they, and that's what we built our thing, but we haven't been able to give that appreciation back to the UK and beyond in Germany and and, it's not because I think it's theirs, because I have the family now. Yeah. You know, yeah. just like Richard from Grapevine, of course, who linked us up. Yeah. You yeah. know, out of damn. And he asked me for video for his thing that he, I, it didn't matter if he already had Donnell Jones. This, I don't care. If you ask me, if, if, if somebody supports us, we got to take our time to do it. Yeah. When other people are off the and they want to measure people, all I'm doing is building more of an army mm. and more. So you go in and be lofty and think and, and want to know how many followers or subscribers people are going to listen to your show. You came with a dope vibe. You came from some well, well loved and revered people for me. So I know it, it could only be successful. Now. now, just so happens, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty, you're, you're like a hot shot, man. And you got some dope interviews under your belt. <laughs> You know, and, and some dope journalism under your belt, man. So big up to <laughs> that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. You coming with it though? Yeah, no, thanks. But so, I mean, you know, I, I guess people would want to know, you know, what what um, 
you know, I would say maybe 60% of people who watch our shows are, are based in the, on North America. Uh, and they'll probably say, look, you know, it's, um, you know, are, are, are we expect, are, are we, are there stuff to look out for that you're producing or back on the road or, 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 or what, what can, it, what can we look out for? Well, I had a show booked, unfortunately, in London. <laughs> um, and, and, and to my American people, like I say, they know I'm here. They, if somebody wanted to, I've done shows, but not as the Wyatt Brothers. If anybody wanted to, hey, yo, we want, want the Wyatt Brothers to come to a show in, in Chicago, this place, LA, I'm here. I'm not, I never was putting myself out there like, please, can I do a show for you? I was asked to do a show in England, my brother and I, you know? So it's not like I'm letting people come to me, but I'm really not thirsty like that. I've never been, even when I was out then. You know what I mean? I never was really thirsty. I just try to give you the dopest stuff I can get you. And don't sweat it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I like I was waiting for the right opportunity while I was building the network of DJs and and and, and people, uh YouTubers and everything over since MySpace. Mm-hmm. You know, been building it all over at and particularly, like I said, the stronghold is England. So I think that even for America, I can launch some things from England and show it to, it just had to do a Jimi Hendrix move, you know, and I yeah. can launch, I have a crew there, a businesses there, I have support there and people. And I got people here in the store too, but I want to, I want to show them some things in, you know, the, the British pound sterling. I want to, I want to show them, <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to show them some other stuff. I can't show no, I can't, I never tried to be, um, I guess I was never trying to be that that guy in yeah. America. Either be, like if you say, "Who's on top in America as a rapper or as a singer?" They don't really fit my image anyway. So yeah. if well, like I'm not trying to compete with that image. Yeah. Never was, you know. I just yeah. been blessed to be amongst some great people yeah. in this, this business that I think that like their image is awesome. There, what they do. But I think, um, you know, with my brand that, that other people are in, too, it's not just me. Other people are involved in this brand. It's not, it's just a name I made up, but every, everybody, um, it's an all-encompassing brand, and it's called Lifestyle Corp. Okay. And our corporation, Lifestyle Corp. And um, we just, you know, we do a lot of things, and we have a lot of tentacles around, and it's not just, it's beyond entertainment. And it, it's not just about money. It is about doing your best and feeling your best. Yeah. Health as well. And if you want to look your best, that's cool too. You put your nice frames on. You want to, you know what? Yeah, that's what's feel good. But, and yeah, but are you are you still writing and producing for yourself and for others, or has that changed? No. Um. Just recent, not recently, but in later in the latest developments, some of my there they want to put records out. I have some records there. I played them because I'm always doing stuff. I'm always recording, you know. I got I got some stuff that I feel like interesting to people and dope, you know. Or if you want to, I got something. If you want to hear where I, where I left off from, you know what I mean? Can spin yeah. and then we, and damn, oh, that's different, you know. But it's dope. But they want to put records out with one of my partners over there. I want to put records out with other artists too, younger artists. 
okay. an artist from an artist from here, you know, and and, and kind of kind of bring out a production album, more like a Dr. Dre kind of thing, an album okay. like that. Okay. You know what I mean? And it's on there with people because that's always what I love to do, just produce on other people. And so um, I, I think that, you know, of course, some solo songs from from me, maybe even a pop J step, you know, and 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 make it dope. Just make it a like the way we did serious. We just did we didn't try to follow one sound. We just try to make an album full of dope songs, you know. Yeah. Thanks for watching. Please remember to subscribe to the channel, but most importantly to press the notification bell so that you can be notified when we do have a new interview. Loads to come. But thanks a lot for watching. Ooh.